Hey Conjugate Chat friends, this is Mike Cunningham from Gill Athletics and I need your help. Or maybe I need to help you. See, we have a crap ton of rubber bumper plates and other weight room items that we need to clearance. We need to clear them out of our factory. That's right, a crap ton. That's the official measurement. All offers will be considered. Email me at mcunningham at gillathletics.com to see the full list and check out the show notes right here on Conjugate Chats for a link to see the items and my email address. Thanks, everybody, and stay strong. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Before going into the episode, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this episode and uh, taking the time to sit down and just listen in on what we got going on here on the podcast today. Uh, a couple of things before we get going into the episode is uh, I want to do a couple ad reads for our sponsors, starting with the DOYSC, the Department of Young Strength Coaches. This group is designed for young strength coaches wanting to go into the field of strength conditioning. Whether that's CSCS prep, GA or internship opportunities, or even live discussions, they are a resource for young coaches to take advantage of. I'll put the link to the Discord in the description of this episode. Also, Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. Their powerhouse platform provides coaches with the elevated experience when it comes to program development, data tracking, and staying connected with athletes and clients. Team Builder is also full of tools that coaches need, like multiple max training methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with Team Builder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with the promo code CONJUGATE to receive a 30-day free trial as well as a 52-week football workout program. Please be sure to sit back listen in and enjoy this episode of the conjugate chats thank you and welcome back to another episode of the conjugate chat i am your host john mark raspberry current strength coach looking to land a spot well, I have the gentleman over at Victory Over Self Radio, uh, Mr. Blair Bennett himself, Ross Garner, and eventually Chris Kerr when he comes back on here uh, when he's, whenever he's done coaching. So I'm going to let uh, Ross and Blair kind of introduce themselves, give a little synopsis b- behind them, and we can get rolling with the episode. Ross, you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? You lead the way there, Blair. All right. So uh, my name is Blair Bennett. I'm a strength and conditioning coach at Thayer Academy in Braintree, Massachusetts. Um, I have previously worked with both Ross and Chris at Liberty. That was uh, the dream team. Um, But now I'm working in the high school setting. I love it. It's a completely different vibe than college was, but uh, I I like it better in many ways, too. Um, I was a college hockey player. not a big deal ross <laughs> uh yeah so i'm at uh, southwest florida christian academy down in fort myers i uh, was also at liberty like uh, blair said with with them too for a couple years before that spent some time at uva longwood and liberty football just interning and getting that experience 
Uh, ended up making the move to high school just because really just a better work-life balance and overall experience. And I think that we make a, a way bigger impact at the high school level. And we've got the opportunity to really just not mess the athletes up. And that's ultimately why <laughs> why uh, I, I went down to high school uh, versus versus college. Again, it was just a good opportunity. So we're down there and, and we're getting after it. And I'll and I'll speak for for Chris before he gets on here. You know, Chris is the director of strength and conditioning at Liberty with Club Sports, and he takes takes control of hockey there. Uh, I would argue that Chris is an up and coming coach in the hockey world, and he's got a, he's one of the few coaches that gets to run a 1080 sprint on ice. There's only a handful of guys that are really doing that, and Chris has a ton of information and a ton of data that he's learning and he's using with that. And I'm really excited for him to kind of dive in and break down his speed development program and what he does with that. Cause I'm always picking his brain on what's the next thing I should do. What does he think uh, based on 1080? What does he think about this? So on and so forth. So he'll dive into that here in a little bit, but again, uh, Chris is a, uh, he's a smart dude and you guys will, you guys will hear him when he goes in the detail, man, he gets after it. Awesome, gentlemen. So, Blair, we'll start with you first. Uh, what does hockey development look like? Because that's one thing I want to do in this podcast. I want to expose, you know, more styles of training with various sports, hockey, wrestling, etc. So what does a normal routine, I guess, for hockey look like? Uh, for me, at the high school level, just like many other sports, um, I'm, I'm looking at hitting the low-hanging fruit right we need to work on speed on and off the ice right so sprints is there going to be anything better than sprinting right if we're just running baggers all day long we're not going to get much faster so having sprinting on and off the ice short and long is going to be huge and then beyond that just the the biggest low-hanging fruit is just general strength if we can strengthen them through multiple positions, unilateral, bilateral, um, obviously upper and lower body, and through the different planes, then we're going to have success, I think, at the high school level. Um, going further than that, I mean, Chris is going to dive in, and he's going to be the wizard there. But for me, with, with the, the students that I work with, I'm at a private high school, um, and we have a, a good hockey team. You know, I have a lot of scrawny hockey players. They might play lacrosse too. They're in great shape. They're good hockey players. They're very skilled. But if we can get them, you know, 10% stronger, um, 10% faster, then we're going we're gonna to see more success. Um, so just very general for me. Um, hockey, I think, in a lot of ways, uh, improving different areas of mobility so that's gonna give us a benefit too as as another like bucket to fill um so if you look at hockey players they're wearing skates and they're on the ice multiple times a week so ankle mobility a lot of guys are going to have their ankles locked up in those skates so if we can improve that that's going to help them in their training as well um that's kind of like super super basic but that's where I start with uh, with my hockey guys. Yeah, man. And let me ask you, because the ankle stability, mobility kind of interests me. So, you know, on, in hockey, you're skating on a thin blade. So what are you doing to increase stability and mobility in those ankles? Because 
it could be easily rolled or uh, if you have weak ankles then it's gonna be really hard to skate on you know a very thin blade so what are you doing to kind of increase the stability and mobility of their ankles yeah so they've got got the thin blade but it's attached to a boot that's very stiff right and so when you get your foot in the skate and you you know lace it up there's not a lot of movement you know as far as far as like plantar flexion dorsiflexion you're only getting so many like degrees of freedom right so when we get them off the ice working through different <clears throat> isos or you know like as far as strength goes but also increasing that strength and mobility um i love you know the doing the spring ankle stuff caldeets's spring ankle stuff with my hockey guys um we're going to build some strength and mobility there i love having them do like ankle rockers um and then just like even going like um original strength working through some uh i think i think he calls it like the lego the lego rocker um so down on the floor just rocking over that ankle um and i just mix that stuff in to a regular program so sprinkling some nuggets into supersets it's kind of like an active uh, recovery for me gotcha now let's kind of flip to the weight room side so we're what do you do what kind of methodologies do you use for the weight room uh are you a try face it kind of person for your hockey players are you a big conjugate person uh so i only get to see my guys like once a week during the season mostly they come in in the off season and uh and because they're in high school i want to be as simple as possible um so we're not doing conjugate um we have touched on pieces of triphasic so we're we're hitting eccentrics we're hitting isometrics um but i, I mean honestly the program's as simple as doing you know like 531 for main lifts or a little bit of auto rag um yeah i i've 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 just tried to keep a program really simple yeah absolutely and simplicity is kind of a big factor in the high school realm because you know you don't want to over overcomplicate things. The basics still work at the high school level. The basics will always always work. So, you know, keeping the program simple like you're talking about is actually very, you know, useful and resourceful for, you know, high school athletes. And kind of going along with that, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about speed development and jump development, uh, especially on Twitter the last couple uh months of, well, this is what we're doing to increase our speed. This is what we're doing to increase our verts, you know, stuff like that. Ross, you talked about kind of this conjugate jump sprint program as well that you posted in Simply Faster. Yes, sir. So talk to us a little bit more about that. Uh, I use the word conjugate just because we're rotating exercises. We're rotating our jumps and we're rotating our sprints. Uh, I started doing this when I was at Liberty and I started doing it with our jumps. And so what we do is we are progressing our jumps from essentially slow to fast uh so we'll talk vertical jumps here so we start with seated variations and then we go to standing variations and i do this because the jump for for most kids is typically a really poorly done movement uh the the, the coordination piece isn't great uh it's really inconsistent you know if you look on any jump mat or whatever you whatever you want to measure stuff with you know the typically the jumps are really really inconsistent you know they might jump a 12 and then they jump 14 then it's 13 then it's 18 you know obviously there's a lot of a lot of factors there 
but the the tough part with that is typically the kids don't know how to jump you know they and i and really i got this from the this point from chris corfus of when a kid is jumping they're not uh, unloading their torso and their hips and their shins at the same time so typically what's happening is they are fully extending their legs before they get their torso completely vertical. So in other words, they're leaving the ground and then they're just kind of launching their torso into the air. So I'm not getting any extra power from that. But if I can link up my shins and my torso to unlock at the same time, so then all of my momentum is going up, then I'm going to get several inches out of that. I'm going to be that much more explosive. So with the jump progression that we do, we start with, I'll give you our, our six that we typically do. Uh, seated weighted jumps on a box. Okay, so strength-based type of movement. Then we go seated hand on hip. So we take away the weight. We're sit still sitting on the box. We don't use hands because typically hands is the hardest part for kids to grasp and link up on the jump. They just typically they just don't do a great job of that. So keep the hands on hips. They'll jump. They'll hit those. Uh, then we'll do seated uh, with hands. Uh, and for your I'll call strength-based athletes. Typically, that is going to be the highest vertical jump that they do uh, is a seated with hands jump. And so, you know, that's always a really good day for a lot of kids. They're like, oh, I did, you know, I did 30, I did 32. But if you looked at their vert, it's usually a couple inches shorter. It just, just depends. All right, so then the next three weeks, we'll take away the box. We'll go standing uh, with weight. We'll go standing hand on hip. And then we'll go uh, standing vertical. And so... We have now progressed, again, what I'll call slow to fast, uh, particularly from a ground contact time perspective. Also, obviously, the speed of the movement. And so uh, it's also teaching them how to jump uh, without having to worry about arms for a block. Uh, really, I mean, obviously, for four out of the six weeks, they're not using arms, which I think is, is critical because they're more so learning to get their torso and their shins unlocked when they jump. Um, and I and, and when I do this, I'm I'm measuring the jumps every time, um, and so I've got a, a a plethora of data on on these kids of just how how each jump is improving, and it's also interesting to see what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are. So we do that with the vertical jump. I've done the same thing with broad jump, where it's uh, seated hand on hip, seated with hands, um, standing hand on hip, and then standing regular. And I've tried a couple other variations, but really just those four with broad jump are, are the best ones, I think. And I, I've had kids, the majority, the majority of my kids will easily put on uh, 12 inches on their broad jump. Now, most of that gain is a technical gain. They, they're learning to fully extend. They're learning to explode. Now, part of it's going to be some explosiveness, but it's really more, they're just learning how to do a broad jump better you know, by not using their hands and making it not as technical. So we do that there, but, it, and I try to, and it's not always perfect. I try to match up my lifting weeks with the jump that it is. So if it's a, a seated weighted jump, that's typically going to be a little bit of a heavier week. And then as we go to something more explosive, the weightlifting side of it is going to be a little lighter. Really, again, I don't, it's not always set up that way, but a lot of times it is. Um, now I've I've progressed the way that I do that to uh, my, we jump two days a week. We jump Tuesdays and we jump, or sorry, Mondays and uh, Fridays. 
the Monday is where I'm doing these jump variations. And then on Friday, I'm doing a uh, reactive or a plyo type of jump. So in other words, uh, like a depth jump or a hurdle hop to then a jump on the jump mat, something where they've got to have a little bit more uh, reactivity to it. Uh, that's typically what we do on a Friday and we're measuring, we're measuring that. But again, by rotating those things, you're getting the chance to PR all the time. Um, you know, I get a new PR every week for those kids. So it's giving you a good sense of buy-in as well when you do that type of stuff is, hey, my seated handle hip jump PR this week or my whatever, you know, you get, you get the point. And that's honestly been, uh, that's always been a huge thing because it's always giving something for the kids to, to look at. But also from the fact of, you know, every six weeks when I come back to a hand on hip jump or a vertical jump, because for me, a hand on hip jump is more important than a vertical jump because it takes out of the arms, it takes out the, the form. And it's really more of a, a true read on lower body power that not every time they PR, but I, I've got quite a few high school kids that I've had for two years now that not every week has been a PR, but they have had a heck of a linear climb on that hand on hip jump as we've gone. But it's cool to see when you take those gaps in your weeks where you're able to see those, those types of gains when they come back to it. Yeah, man. And I was going to ask you if you've recorded with a jump mat and you kind of answered that yep. as you kind of yep. went along. So what's the like actual program of your jump and sprint uh, development? Because is it like, do you do it like two times a week? Do you do it three times a week? Uh, what's the like sets and reps, if you want to call that yep. for your jumps? Because, you know, we're we're trying to chase a stimulus. You know, we're not so set on like, you know, a set or a rep or anything. You're just chasing a stimulus because you want that to you know, progress in your jump and spread development. So what does that look like? Yep. So for my typical weekly layout, one, just based off of logistics and time I have in my, my classes, because our lifts, I, I see my kids every day, but the lift itself is 30 minutes tops, uh, just once they change and they do all that type of stuff. So uh, Monday is a jump day. Tuesday is a sprint day. Thursday is a sprint day. And then Friday is a jump day. Friday is a trap bar deadlift um monday is a squat day and then a rdl on uh tuesdays for lower body stuff uh i jump on mondays because of the weekend they're not ready to go they're not tuned up it's not going to be the best day to sprint them and so i let that day kind of get the rust off from the weekend um and typically what i'm doing is a uh, circuit style stuff uh similar to if you're familiar with caldeed's performance circuits it's not exactly that way in terms of okay, I'm going to pair this run variation. Uh, let's say it's a trap bar deadlift. I'm going to pair prime times because of the knee bend, because of the knee angle. I'm not necessarily doing that. But uh, for example, Monday will be a, a our squat. Then we'll do an upper body accessory. So let's say maybe that is dumbbell shoulder press. Then we'll do a upper body pull. Then I will do a multi-rep jump. Uh, and it could be like a box jump series. It could be um, broad jumps, triple jump, whatever, something like that. Then we will go to our jump mat jump. Uh, and it'll just be one rep, whatever whatever that is. And they'll run through all of that, say like five rounds typically. So they'll get, they'll get five of those measured jumps a day. But if you're counting the multi-rep jumps, you're typically looking at 20 to 25 reps before that. So I look at that multi-rep jump as their development, as getting that capacity. 
and then that jump mat as our just output, and we're going to see where they're at. And typically, they're going to PR that third, fourth, fifth set. They're not PR, but that's going to be their best one of the day. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be the first or second, but that third, fourth, fifth is going to be their best rep. Uh, Tuesday, again, I'm doing on Tuesday, I bench and I do RDLs on those days, and I'm pairing my uh, my sprint for that day is an acceleration based sprint. Uh, so for me, that's going to be a 20 or 30 yard laser sprint. And every every week I'm I'm timing those sprints. They're always they are always getting timed uh, on sprints. Um, that Thursday for me, it is a speed power day and my max velo day. So they're running out 30 or 40 yards, depending on what it is. And then Friday is my trap or deadlift day that I pair with a jump. And I just I pair trap or deadlift with a jump just because those two things go together uh, to prime them for for that. So. I guess the brief synopsis is uh, they're going to do a multi-rep jump or a sprint primer before the measured item, whatever that may be. So like for the sprint, it may be a bound. It may be a triple jump for the uh, jump mat. It may be a multi-rep weighted jump and then we'll do our, our regular jump. Awesome, man. And let me ask you this too: Is this something that you do year round? Is this something that is like developmental in the off season? Is it preseason? Is it something you know? Is it something that you do year round? Yeah. So typically, so that that layout in general is is year round, um, but the main lift emphasis will change. You know, uh, like for example, um, my in season this year we did safety bar reverse lunges, where my off season kids were doing front squat. And they were obviously it's a little bit heavier doing reps or whatever. Um, in the spring, for example, they were doing off season was doing five three one, where uh, in season was they were just they weren't doing that. They were on a different program. But no, that general layout is all the time. They're sprinting two days a week. They're going to jump two days a week, and we we will always do that. And there's going to be times where I and I tell them this: where I your jump and your sprint is going to be down this you know this time of year and that's fine but i just want to see where it's at in conjunction to the thing about always measuring and always seeing where they're at is particularly my in-season kids because we can gather we can gather all this data but if we're not going to do anything with it then don't gather data and by having our data year round uh, i'm now at the point now that i have two years of data that I can tell very specifically that, hey, this is what our basketball players are going to look like. This is what our football players are going to look like. This is what soccer is going to look like in terms of the start of their season, the end of their season. You know, how is, uh, like, for example, for bas- for my basketball players that also play baseball, when they go into basketball, all their sprinting and jumping is going to tank because of all the running, all the intensity, it's going to go down. But it's to be expected. When they go to baseball, just about every player in about four to six weeks post-basketball is going to PR big time on their sprints and jumps because they're recovered. Mm. But that's, but that type of, but that type of stuff, you've got to take data all the time to know that. Uh, And I'm able to communicate with coaches, Hey, all of your football guys were trashed this week. Might want to think about adjusting. Same thing for basketball, same thing for all the other sports. Can I I hop in with a question? Go for it. Yeah. So Ross, uh, just for clarity, you were talking about on Monday of how you have like upper body push, pull, multi jump, and then your measured jump. Is that three exercise, uh, push, pull, multi jump, 
like a set alone circuit in and of itself and then you'll go into your kind of measured jump and then lift type of circuit or is that all together that's that was chris kerr everybody he's on our podcast now uh <laughs> he's uh it is a uh one giant circuit so you know okay. five five stations they just go all the way through um logistically like tuesday for example we bench and we do rdls uh, the, the bench will finish the bench circuit all by itself. And then we'll go to RDLs by itself just because of logistics and the racks. Uh, but if I can, it'll just be one, one giant, one giant circuit. Okay. That makes sense. And then at what point did you realize like, okay, doing some sort of multi-jump primer before a measured jump, even though, you know, uh, you want to do your measured jump as the first exercise when you're the most fresh and everything like that. When, when did you realize, like, hey, these kids kind of need a little kick in the CNS before they go into this uh, single measure jump? Yeah, I think when uh, when, when I was at when we were at, well, when I was at Liberty uh, yeah. and we were doing those readiness jumps for a while mm -hmm. and it was which. To each their own on the readiness jumps, you can do with it what you would like mm -hmm. uh, from seeing the numbers on their readiness jumps compared to how much higher they were getting during a lift obviously now that they're warmed up they're gonna get a higher jump we, yeah. we know that uh but when you're then incorporating the jump with uh with a main lift and the primer stuff they're just they're just jumping that much higher mm -hmm. and the i want them to do the most explosive thing with the highest output to the best of their ability mm -hmm. uh versus we're just going to do it first and let's say a kid sprints uh, a two seven twenty, what whatever we're throwing a number. Let's just throw you know he does a two seven twenty, but as he goes through the lift, he's now running because he's warmed up. He hits a two five nine. Okay, that's what <laughs> that's what I need them to get used to doing, and I want them to feel the highest output and feel their yep. best. And the the multi-rep primer stuff gets them out of lifting mode and into being athletic. Mm -hmm. It gets them out of that, that, you know, locked up, whatever. It just gets them back into being an athlete because we still yep. want to lift and we're still going to be strong. I need to kind of get you out of that to then hit our jump and hit our athletic mm, like thing. Yeah. I like how you describe that. Get them back into athletic before the measure. Cool. All right. Thanks. Ross. <laughs> yep. Can I ask Ross a question? <laughs> Here we go. Ross, can you just give us an example? So let's say you're doing a hands-on hips, uh, just regular vertical jump as your, your measured jump. What's your multi-rep primer? Yeah. Uh, so typically for the vertical jump, um, I'm going to do a... All right, so if it's a seated jump, I'm going to do a seated multi-rep jump before. Uh, it may be a weighted jump. It may be um, like a vertical jump to a broad jump, and they just keep going. You know what I mean? Like it, it's something with a vertical emphasis. Uh, for these sprints, it's either basically going to be a bound, a repeat broad jump, or a triple jump. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan. Of, I've become a way bigger fan of using a triple jump, just a broad jump out with two feet. They land on one foot, land on the other foot, and then stick a landing on the end. And they do that for a couple reps because ultimately, I would argue, the triple jump is a tremendous uh, 
way to develop athleticism and very athletic and explosive guys can do a great triple jump. And so let's just get the kids practicing that coordination and then they go into their sprint, but either triple jump or bounds are my two big things for sprints. But yeah, with the vertical jump, uh, typically a, if it's no box, they're going to do a standing. Uh, I do, a, I do a bunch of just a lightweight with it. So it could be like, they're just holding 10 pound plates, like nothing heavy, just something, something light. They're going to do it beforehand get their multi reps and then take a second and, and then eventually do their jump mat. Perfect. Thank you. Any more questions for Ross? <laughs> okay. Yeah, Sweet. <laughs> man, the Ross, that's completely awesome, man. You know, that's a lot of information being shared out. What? Probably about 10 ish minutes uh, oh, wow. of, of sprint and jump, man. That that's completely awesome. So we're going to shift the gears a little bit and go to Chris. Cause we want to talk about hockey uh, speed development off and on the ice. So talk to us about that, what you're doing over at Liberty. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you. I appreciate the the opportunity to share a little bit. So started in 2014, training hockey players and just the background and influences that I had, I was like, okay, perfect. Get them bigger, faster, stronger. Much, much uh, of the emphasis there on the bigger. And uh, yeah, it was clean bench squat get my deadlifts in, uh, try to push these PRs on squats and cleans and deadlifts and bench. And I just wasn't getting the on ice results like I really wanted. And then the big kind of aha moment for me in the weight room, I, I lined my players up by strength. So all the way down here, I had my weakest players all the way down here. I had my strongest players. And I was sitting there going like, wow, look at this. This is great. And then I realized like, whoa, whoa, whoa. down here are where all my weakest people are. On my hockey team, these are the people that play the most and score the most goals. And then all the way down here, all my strong people are the people who don't play as much. And it was just like that moment of, huh, maybe pushing strength and everything like I have been hasn't been uh, the best way to train hockey players. And then uh, Ross and Blair are, are massive influences on me. And at some point, one of them said, like, you heard of this Tony Holler guy? And so just podcasted everything, Tony Holler, uh, Feed the Cats, and really started to get into a, all right, whatever my best athletes on the team, whatever my best players on the team like the most, that's what I need to be doing. And what do they like to do? They like to jump. They like to sprint. They like to move things really fast. What do they not like to do? Heavy, slow, grinding, weight training. So that really shifted my program. And in the last couple of years, we've had a lot of success with that. So on the in-season side of things, I'm incredibly blessed here. I have a 1080 sprint. So my men's and women's hockey teams are going to be sprinting twice a week. Uh, every now and then, if they're working out uh, uh, you know, more than twice a week, I'll even pull them over speed a little bit. So every day we're going to be sprinting, whether it's uh, a little lighter resisted, a little heavier resisted. And then when it comes to the off-season, I kind of take the approach of the high-low model. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're doing sprints. Uh, Monday, Friday are going to be resisted with the 1080, and then Wednesday is going to be overspeed with the 1080. So if you're somebody uh, who doesn't have a 1080 sprint at their disposal in season, Monday I would do some sort of you know heavy sled push um, for that kind of strength, power, um, acceleration focus, and then on Wednesday some sort of unweighted sprint so that you could be hitting some top uh, or top or higher speeds. Then off season without a 1080 Monday and Friday, still that kind of resisted sprint sled push day. And then on Wednesday, 
a little bit longer of a sprint, 20, 30 yards, something like that. So that's kind of my, my sprint layout. And then a lot of exercises in the weight room that, you know, I just steal from Cal Dietz, Chris Corfist, working on the feet, working on the hips, working on specific angles for uh, speed development with hockey players. Absolutely, man. And this is something I want to ask you as well, because uh, I love the car analogy, right? You can have a fast car, but if it doesn't have any good brakes on it, it's not that good of a car. Yeah. So what are you doing to work on things like deceleration with your athletes? Because it's great to excel, but we also need to learn to how to de-excel with high speeds. Yeah, no, that's a great question, especially with the sport of hockey, right? So when you watch it, it is constant change of direction all the time. Um, so when you're changing direction on the ice, you're doing it off of a reaction to either another player, uh, you're reacting off of where the puck is moving or your position, right? You're about to run into the goal, you're about to run into the boards. And so you're going to be changing direction there. So a lot of my kind of thoughts and theories with training hockey players for that comes from just good on ice sessions, right? Make sure you're running quality drills where you're conditioning them for the game, not just, hey, skate to this line and change direction. Um, that's a that's a whole nother podcast with uh, on ice stuff. But off ice, what I'm really focusing on is making sure that they have mobile ankles, making sure that their hips uh, are able to move well, making sure they have strength in and around their ankle, knee and hip joint. Because when they go and slam on those brakes and kind of just you know turn their skate to the side, because ice is a, a frictionless surface, um, it's a lot of wear and tear on the hips. But if I could uh, make sure they're mobile, make sure the musculature around the hips is strong, uh, then we're going to be kind of in business there. Um, so just for example, um, we'll do some lateral sled uh, poles, um, so lateral sled walks, but I really like kind of building up the spring ankle positions. Because if I can be stronger in that position, the better. I really like building up uh, a split squat hold position. Because again, if I can be stronger in that, the better. So it's kind of making sure there's a lot of mobility through the ankle and the hip, a lot of good range of motion through those two joints, and then strengthening everything around it combined with some good on-ice work uh, and on-ice drills and then uh, kind of some lateral push-pull. Your classic, you know, jump side-to-side, skater-hop type stuff works great. I love that. And then there's, uh, there's some other drills as the season approaches where we're doing some hard sprint stop starts uh, to align, and I'll add a little bit of resistance to that as well. And you kind of mentioned it a little bit too about changing direction. So is there any drills in particular that you use for changing direction? Because most sports, if not all of them, it's the constant of stop and start, stop and start, stop and start. So what are you doing to incorporate changing direction into your own program? Yeah, another good question. So because hockey is so unique in that it's you're wearing a, an ice skate in a boot, and there's a knife on the end of it, and you're on ice. Um, we're pretty blessed here at, at our level at Liberty where we can get on the ice a lot. So I coordinate with our on ice guys to do a lot of that change of direction type of work um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, when those are kind of our higher days. Um, but then off ice, there's, there's the ability on the 1080 to pull over speed and everything like that. Um, so I incorporate a little bit of that, um, but a lot of my change of direction work will come about six to eight weeks out from the start of the season where we're doing resisted sprints of sprint to this line as hard, as fast as you can stop, change direction and come back. Um, that's, that's the majority of what I would classify as my, my change of direction work. 
Um, and we kind of prep for that throughout the whole season because the the other thing with hockey, and I mean, Blair was a hockey player. He was a goalie, so he could kind of attest to it of, I don't want a year round be training something like that because it's just going to destroy their hips. I, I need to kind of give them that break. So there's a, a good chunk of my off season where we're doing a lot of just front and back linear work. And then that kind of rest, <laughs> eventually they're, they're hockey players. They know how to change direction. So once they get on the ice, they can apply that, you know, better mobility in the, the ankle, hip and strength around those joints as well. Absolutely, man. And uh, Ross and Blair were talking about how you were gathering a lot of information, a lot of data on your speed development and things like that. So what are your like KPIs for acceleration for uh, things like this, for Max Velos? And you know, what are you taking a look at on the ice? And are you taking a look at like your KPIs on the ice and off the ice? You know, what does that look like? Yeah, that is a phenomenal question. So uh, again, when when you have a 1080 sprint, it's it's a timing system, it's a, a resisted system like a sled, it's a force plate, it reads power outputs, it, it does everything. And for every sprint that you're doing, uh, let's just say it's 10 yards, every 0.01 centimeters that you're traveling across that 10 yards, it's collecting data. And so, for example, this morning, we were doing uh, some pretty heavy resisted sprints, um, kind of bringing their uh, their time, their velocity down by 25 to 50%. So it really slowing them down a good bit. And uh, it just allows you to personalize everything. It, it's really incredible. But across that 10-yard sprint, I could look at certain sections, chunks of that. I could look at their forces, their powers, whatever else. But my, my biggest KPI that I have found and the one that um, I try to say to everybody is when it comes to acceleration, Whoever could get the furthest in one second wins the race. Okay, so I for hockey, it's a big acceleration sport. I time out uh, ten meter sprints like crazy. So I am a, a, an expert in ten meters on and off the ice for hockey. And what I'm looking for is how well they can project themselves out in that one second. How far can they travel? What's the displacement of their center of gravity, their mass, whatever you want to kind of think about it. So I'm looking at that. That's a, a massive KPI, whoever can get the furthest. And again, that's for on, off the ice. Whoever gets the furthest in one second uh, wins the race. And uh, recently, within the last year, I've trying to been even looking that and narrowing that down to half a second. Um, Les Spellman at a conference was saying he, he does half a second and a second. So another KPI I could be looking for there. And then uh, off ice, I want to see stiff, strong feet. Right, that's just kind of my visual test. I want to see the feet being a little bit wider. Again, kind of visual test. And then uh, on ice, this is kind of nuances of hockey, but when they're crossing over to start, I want to see can they handle the force and only have the front third of their skate blade on the ice. So foot strength, stiffness on ice is just as important as it is off ice, where on that very first step, if they're crossing over, if their entire blade uh, hits the ice, their entire skate, that shows me they have a weak foot. So KPIs for acceleration, uh, very similar on and off ice. How far can you get in one second? And then uh, how strong, how stiff is that foot as you're uh, kind of getting out to that one second? And um, there's certain things we'll do in the weight room to help build up that, that strength in the foot, uh, most likely through isometrics. 
awesome. And I always admired hockey from afar and, uh, you know, the, the work that hockey players put in and stuff like that, man. I always admired it from afar. So kind of to dive into some training about hockey, you know, with hockey players and stuff like that, it's, it's pretty remarkable, man. Yeah, it's a it's a fun sport. It's wild. Um, I mean, like Blair could tell you, it's I don't know many other sports where you graduate from high school and then you have this like in between time between high school and college. So uh, here at Liberty or all the all the other you know major hockey schools, your freshman males are coming in at 20, 21 years old. Um, so it's just it's crazy. Yeah, it's a it's a very different sport. You, they're a lot more mature, but a lot more miles on them. Uh, than than most other sports, maybe you know baseball, basketball, and stuff, but uh, they're not having the collisions and the trauma like a hockey player does. But it's a lot of fun. It's interesting. It's a lot of fun. I might challenge you on being more mature, but yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. It's uh, it's uh, what three four years of Lord of the Flies if you're uh, you know a junior hockey player, you know, just kind of running the show. So uh, that's a good point. Yeah, I was a I was a 21 year old freshman at Liberty. It's crazy, so, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's fun. That's why I didn't realize that. Yeah, ho- hockey's weird. <laughs> hockey's weird like that. Um, so yeah, it's uh, if you're a, a great hockey player when you're young, if you're not in a uh, major city or you know you're a hockey factory, a lot of times when you're 14, 15, 16 years old, you're kind of shipped off. Uh, so it happened to my wife's cousin, and I'm sure Blair knows a bunch of guys too, where you know they grow up playing together and then they're they're just gone. It's, it's pretty crazy. Yep. Yeah. I was pretty fortunate to play close to home, but um yeah, I mean, unless you are exceptional, or if you are exceptional too, like if you're really, really good, then you're gonna go play at a really, really good school or uh mm. for you know, like a, a prep team or a triple A team, whatever we call it. Yeah. Um if you're in the middle somewhere, you can play junior hockey close to home and you'll play there with the hope of either, you know, moving up to major junior and you'll play probably till you're 20. If you're really, really good, you'll get drafted. You'll go play in the NHL maybe. But otherwise, you're going to play your, your years of junior and then you're going to go to college and you're going to be 20, 21. And so there's plenty of time for development there. Um, yes. You know, it's just a matter of if you choose to do it. <laughs> there yeah. are some, like there are some really good hockey players that I know, guys playing in the NHL who didn't train at all until they got to the NHL. So explain that one to me. But just genes, better, better parents. <laughs> just better parents. Yeah, better parents and youth coaches. Yeah. Do y'all have any questions for Chris about anything that he's doing? Yeah, Chris, I do have questions. <laughs> All right, yeah, hit, hit me, Ross. I'd love to hear it. Uh, honestly, so I'm just going to say that the I thought that skate point was actually pretty interesting as far mm. as a third, uh, would you say, have a third of their skate on the ice? Yeah, track? that fr- front third, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, okay, you see a kid, can't, can't hold that position. What is your next step of improving that? Yeah, so uh, on the ice we're, we're talking about, yeah. right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So, again, in the sport of hockey, to get going, most of the time you're going to do uh, a crossover start. So your one leg pushes underneath you. Uh, let's just say you're facing straight forward and you're kind of going to your side, right? Think about uh, somebody stealing first. 
right? They're facing the home plate and then they turn towards second. So that's a typical start um, in hockey with that kind of like crossover and step over step. Um, so if I see that, honestly, the first thing I'll say is like, hey, here's what you're doing. Try to do this because some people just don't know the technique of it, right? So it could just be a simple technical error um, that I'm going to try to fix. And then if that doesn't work, then I'll kind of cue them of, hey, I want you to dig your toes into your skate as hard as you can. Or in other words, I want them to dig their big toe into the ice. And so I'll try that. So I, I give them awareness that that doesn't work. I tell them to dig their big toe or their, dig their toes into their skate boot. If that doesn't work, then it's just a strength thing, right? It could be strength or uh, a mobility issue, most likely strength. The easiest one is spring ankle, right? The Chris Corfus Caldeets exercises just start to crush those. And oftentimes I've found that they're just not strong enough to hold that position. So I start there and then uh, I'll add in heavier resisted sprints off ice or heavier resisted sled pushes. And then there's a few other isometric positions that I've kind of developed for hockey where there's a little kind of lateral component to it well, but all kind of just a, a bastardized version of, of spring ankle. Okay, so when you get your, because, you know, you've got the luxury of a nice 1080. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with your sprint segments and mm-hmm. whether it's zero to five, zero to 10, 10 to 20, all, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. What, or specifically for your system and with your hockey guys, how do you use those segments to then determine, hey, this is, what you need, how do you how are you going to differentiate within your program to bring up those whatever segment might be the the weakest point to then bring yeah. up that and then keep going and keep going? Yeah, no, great question. So first thing I kind of have to work on is that acceleration component. So I kind of have my everyone should get roughly this far in one second kind of KPI. And to be honest with you, at, at my level, mostly everybody's sort of stuck in that KPI of trying to increase their isometric strength, trying to increase their strength in spring ankle or split squat positions so that they could apply force and not kind of go backwards on that, right? Like if I'm trying to run forward and my heel's going down, that shows there's some negative force coming back and I'm not going forward. Um, So a lot of hockey players have poor ankle range of motion for being stuck in a skate boot, not playing a lot of other sports. Um, so that's kind of number one. And then from there, I look at, um, how far are they getting? And then what is their time from zero to five compared to five to 10? So you can kind of see people who are bad starters and then people who are, um, bad finishers, so to speak. Um, so there's two girls on my women's hockey team. They are the two fastest on the team and it just works out perfect where, One is stronger and a much better starter from zero to five and not as strong from five to 10. And then the other is uh, not as strong, just not as good a starter from zero to five, but much better from uh, five to 10. So I kind of use their data to sort of compare everybody to group them up into categories and I'll really focus on their accessory work. So if you need uh, better acceleration, a lot of isometrics, a lot of deep angle um resisted type of things and then if you're um slow from five to ten um a little bit higher knee angle joint angle type things and a little bit more let's just call it plyometric type of work 
Um, but KPI number one, how far can you get in that one second? I kind of have my distance in mind for my men's and women's teams of where I want them. And then I'll break down those uh, zero to five, five to 10 yard sections or chunks. Um, just because I have such good data and so much data on uh, my two fastest girls ever and what they could do for those time segments. Okay, so then you, I'm going to kind of shift. Yep, yep. Uh, you're, I would argue that you're you're one of the few coaches that's able to, or correction, you have uh, really developed your program to where you are able to impact and develop kids on ice while mm-hmm. also doing off ice stuff. So like you're, yep. you're, you're doing a really good job of blending and kind of erasing that line between hockey coach and strength coach, you know, strength coach is only in my weight room walls. Hockey coach is, you know, out, out of there. Yep. Okay. How, or correction, what steps, you know, what got you to that point, mm-hmm. you know, where you're able to get that in your system where you're really starting to really make a bigger impact because you're blurring the line between those two things and and you're getting to see it on ice. Okay. And then now I'm seeing in the weight room, what the differences is, uh, with, you know, with that blending of, uh, of the two, how have you been able to then take the information that you're getting from 1080 in your system mm-hmm. and then present it to your coaches in a way that is, it's almost, it's almost, uh, showing the, the potential of your players, right? Cause if mm-hmm. I look at like my high school kids, I can give you a list of, Hey, these kids have really great athletic potential, but now you just need to teach them the game better. Like they need yep. to learn the game and their athletic potential is this. So uh, to walk, the, walk through that, uh, how you yeah. got in there and then what that looks like. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, and, and I appreciate all the, all the the kind words there. I don't know how, how well I'm doing to living up to what you just described, but I appreciate <laughs> it. So it, it just comes from, in my opinion, my coaches could see my hunger to want to be better and to want to win, right? I think a lot of people, you know, they have their guy of like, look at that dude doing that. That's my guy. I want, I want that. I want that guy. Um, and so, yeah, just a constant pursuit of trying to, trying to be the best for the athletes, trying to give them everything that they can. And I'm super blessed to have been here for so long, right? I'm going to be starting year 10 and, you know, a month here, um, which is incredibly rare to play. So I think it's just that comfortability, familiarity with, with me. And I think the coaches know, like, I'm here for the reasons of let's, let's get these athletes better to have a winning team. Um, and then there's just a lot of education that I've presented to the coaches of why I'm doing it. So just open lines of communication and, Kind of just presenting my passion on on my sleeve of here's what I want, and so when the coaches see that, they want you integrated a little bit more. They want to ask you more questions, and then when I kind of present these ideas of, hey, if we do this on the ice for speed development, it does take an open minded coach to be like, okay, yeah, let's let's try that out. But I think I'm super blessed here to have that. So hopefully that kind of answers it of like. Number one, I've just been here a while. Number two, I think they could see my my passion on my sleeve of like I I want our athletes to do really well, and uh, then just you know, kind of giving them the the whys behind everything. Um, so the next step for that, and 
this is something I've kind of been developing over the last few months actually is taking certain people with certain qualities on the ice and then finding the data for that off ice. So here's what I mean by that. There's uh, something or a, a strategy you could do in hockey called going wide, right? So in a one-on-one situation, if I'm faster than the defense, right? Defense is skating backwards. I'm skating towards them. I could just, you know, take a couple strides wide of them and then just eventually go around them, right? Because as best as they're trying to skate backwards, if I'm faster than them, eventually I could get around them, go wide, right? And then Blair, if I'm not describing it well, you can help me with that. So if I have a player who could go wide on most defensemen in the league and I know how fast they are, then I'm going to try to find players who are similarly as fast. And if they're not going wide on D during the game, I'm going to say, hey, coach, um, we'll just say Coach Joe. Hey, Coach Joe, um, Steve could always go wide in a game. Uh, And then this other guy on the team, Carl, is just as fast as Steve. If Carl's not going wide on the defenseman, then there's a lack of technique. There's a lack of uh, kind of skill. There's a lack of the tactical, situational awareness of like, oh, I could go wide on this guy. So I'm going to start to uh, try to break that down of here's the qualities that these players could do on the ice during the game. Here are the the strengths or the speeds that they could go at. Now find those same people off ice, present to the coach of like, hey, coach this person up. And they have the, the physical giftings to do the same thing as this other person. Um, so that's kind of where I, I want to take it. I haven't, uh, you know, rolled that out yet, but just case in point, there's a girl on our women's team who could go wide on anybody. She's so fast. We have a few other girls on the team just as fast as her, but they don't execute like she does. Why? It's not a physical limitation. It could be a skill, it could be technical, tactical. So let's sort of figure those out together as a staff and try to get more girls that can now um, execute like she can. Chris, just touching on that, with my <clears throat> hockey experience, I would say yeah. that a lot of times, and it may be just a, it is a tactical thing, I would say, call it, I don't know, you could simplify that and just say a fear, right? So yeah. if I'm going wide on a defenseman and they have the right angle, right? So I might be faster than them, mm-hmm. but tactically, they know that they can take me to the boards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So there's, there's that fear now of, am I going to get hit if I do that? Mm, So instead they may choose to be more of a perimeter player. So they play, you know, they, they're coming in, they're going wide and then they choose to drop back, go to the boards. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Now playing the perimeter because they're scared to get hit. Yeah. That makes sense. But with coaching, right. And the tactical, if they get more confident and they are aware that, Hey, yeah. I can beat this person. Mm-hmm. I can go wide on them. Now that there's a winning recipe there. So yeah, I think you're on the right track with that. Um, awesome. Just... I appreciate that. Yeah. I did not grow up playing or watching hockey. This is all just uh, YouTube. So anytime <laughs> someone who knows the game could explain it a little bit more, I'm, I'm pretty grateful. Yeah. This is awesome, man. I, I love hockey and I love learning about it. So y'all kind of having that interaction that I love it, man. Uh, I appreciate it. Kind of wrapping things up here. I always I've done this since episode one, and I continue to do it because I love it. It's called a conjugate coach spotlight. So, is there anyone out there that y'all want to highlight to shout out um, that's making the difference in strength conditioning? 
It's a good question. Does anyone uh, want to kind of lead us off here, boys? Yeah, I want to shout out Ross Garner and Chris Kerr. <laughs> I was going to say my, the same thing. <laughs> they're my two favorite coaches. <laughs> um, I'll say, I'll say, uh, as of late, as of late, um, I tell you what, uh, Coach Sparkman, Monty Sparkman, has been lighting it up on the Twitterverse just for different things. He's been he's been tweeting out. He's just he's just got a really good. Uh, good outlook and good philosophy you know I've, I've met him and talked to him a couple times just a good good dude but it's always uh <clears throat> it's always interesting to talk to coaches that are uh big powerlifting guys but then when they are a athletic performance coach it's a little bit of a different philosophy right they're not uh they're not all in necessarily on what they do to develop the powerlifting movements you know still use those as a as a core as a base but they know these other things are a little more important when they're doing our athletic performance uh which then makes me follow up to uh somebody that some people will probably know um but is our boy duncan hunley who is currently currently a uh, a ga for clemson football uh he's he was uh made had a brief bit of uh, famous internet video of him squatting uh, a ton of weight at Sornex, not this year, but last year. I don't remember what the number was. I feel like it was like 800 pounds. It was yeah, something dumb. Something high, high, high was, number. Yeah. It was something dumb. But, uh, but Duncan is one of my favorite human beings on this planet. And he is a, he's an up and coming coach. He is, I think his ultimate goal is to be the youngest guy to squat a thousand pounds raw. Have no idea what that what that age is, but nevertheless, that that is his that's his goal, and uh, he's a man. And so, if you don't know him, you will. And yep. he is, uh, yeah. I'm excited to see excited to see what he does, what his next step is. Wow, that a boy. That's that's a really good one. Yeah, we're uh, we're blessed here at Liberty to number one. The three of us have been able to share an office together, but to to know Duncan and then. Uh, if you're shouting out Duncan, I absolutely need to uh, mention a, a former GA who, um, so uh, f- for me at Liberty, I work in our club sports department. Um, so you kind of view us, we're a little bit unique and different as a um, division three athletic department on a campus that also has a division one athletic department. It's a, it's very unique, but uh, recently I've had a, a GA leave uh, and I think Today's his uh, second day working with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So for Cole Seaborn to have gone from, uh, you know, Liberty uh, hockey and not not even our, our our top men's D1 team, but to go from that uh, up to the Jacksonville Jaguars, it's a, a pretty wild turn of events, uh, but just kind of goes to show like Cole's the man and he's That's put in so much work um, to set himself up to get into that position. But uh, I... Somebody who's influenced me massively, tremendously through helping me learn from my mistakes here locally in Lynchburg, Virginia, is Dr. Jeffrey Nathan Lowe's. Um, so Dr. Lowe's, um, he's in our Hockey Hall of Fame of Liberty, chiropractor, but then has evolved himself into so much more. He's been a big inspiration for me of just because you have this particular title or this particular education doesn't mean you have to stop there and sort of be pinholed. Um, so he has learned so much um, throughout the whole world of like the FMS system, the Titleist Performance Institute system, 
uh, dry needling, sports rehab, and kind of just turned himself into a jack of all trades. So that's somebody I look up to of, man, just because I'm the weight room guy doesn't mean that I can't come out of that shell and now become the the on ice guy as well. So big shout out to Cole. Uh, and then also uh, Dr. Jeffrey Nathan Lowe's of Virginia Sport and Spine fame. Remarkable, man. Uh, I want to thank you all again for coming on and taking the time to sit down and really share a lot of information within the, what, 50 minutes that this was recording, 50 minutes to an hour, man. That's a lot of information at once, and, you know, it's such good, vital information, too. Uh, I just want to thank you all again for being on. 100%. Thank you, Jam. Thank you, Jam. Yeah, I appreciate you having us on. And uh, for, for young coaches out there, it's like we – just stay hungry, right? Like we, we didn't learn all this in one day. It's just like decades of uh, other coaches' knowledge that we are stealing from. Uh, so just keep listening to podcasts like this. Love what you're doing. Love all the content you're putting out. Love the, um, the, the big dog coaches that you're able to get on here, Jam. And uh, yeah, just keep it up, dude. We, we love it. We're, we're fans uh, up close and from afar as well. Appreciate y'all. And that's another episode of the Conjugal Chats. Please follow our social media platforms at Conjugal Chat Podcast on Twitter, TikTok. Also, follow these gentlemen's social medias as well. In the name of strength, stay strong, and have a day today. Before we end this episode here, I wanted to bring the light to something. Um, most people on here are either strength coaches or aspiring strength coaches. Um, for those that are aspiring strength coaches out there, um, I set up a Gumroad account, a uh, store even, to provide value back into the field of strength conditioning. Starting with, um, I have study guides on there uh, for anyone that's not past the CSCS or is going to take the CSCS. Um, these are study guides that I've developed over the last three years that I've used in my attempts to pass the CSCS and I wanted to bring that value here to our podcast. So if you will go to the link in the description of this episode, you'll see a link to my Gumroad in which you can purchase or just download for free um, the study guides for CSCS, a couple of my guides for in uh, in season training, and also um, a couple of our products in there as well. Again, thank you for listening in on the Conjugate Chats, and thank you for your continuous support.